you know, if, if everybody forgets everything that we talked about and they only remember one thing, I am hoping that they, they know that doing the bare minimum uh, is not enough anymore. You know, that will keep you in your work today, but not tomorrow. Welcome back, everyone, to the Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization Show, the home of Googleization Nation, where we talk with HR and business thought leaders about the crazy shift going on all around us and explore the disruptive convergence of technology, business, and people. Here are your hosts, Ira Wolf and Jason Cochran. Hey, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Geek Skeezers and Googleization, a show from the People Forward Network. I'm Ira Wolf, and thank you for being part of Googleization Nation. And I'm Jason Cochran. If you think this is just another podcast, think again, my friends. We are the voice of the most important and crucial conversations confronting business leaders and people today. Our goal is to bring you ways to reimagine tomorrow and explore the impact and convergence of business, technology, and people. In today's episode, you're going to hear from Enrique Rubio, another Geek Skeezers and Googleization alumni. He's founder of Hacking HR, so many of you may be familiar with him, and he's also a top 100 global HR influencer. So we're going to be talking about and asking Enrique the question, can HR save your business? Enrique thinks so, and has a cast of vision to help others usher in a, a transformation of HR. Just listen to a live stream that Enrique posted this morning. So we got a lot of questions for him. He was a guest on the show, as I said, just a few years ago. Uh, he was our 11th guest. We're now over 210. Hacking HR was just in its infancy. They were just starting some chapters. He was just getting grounded new startup. Uh, so it's great to have him back almost three years later. Hacking HR is a global learning community. It has over 200,000 LinkedIn followers. Uh, they include HR and business leaders, HR practitioners, vendors, consultants. The goal is to make HR the best it possibly can be. And we're going to be talking about that because there's a lot of work to be done. But before we get there, Jason, let's talk about our newest segment, perfect labor storm. Excited about this for obvious reasons. For anybody that follows me, they know all about the perfect labor storm. On each episode, we're going to be focused on one disruptive, surprising, or worrisome trend that we believe that everybody should know about. And this is so fitting today that Enrique is here, and we're going to be talking about burnout in HR leaders. So according to a new study by WorkVivo, 98% of HR leaders are reporting burnout. 94% of them are feeling overwhelmed. 88% dread their work. And 73% say they don't have the tools and resources needed to do their job well. So I, I don't know of a, a better time to talk about why we need to be hacking HR. That's so true, Ira. And I love this new segment, even though those are kind of like some daunting statistics. What a perfect time to have Enrique here, um, like you said, so that we can hack HR. Uh, but sadly, I mean, are those statistics really that surprising given all of the shift that we've gone through in the past two years, especially HR leaders? When you think about the ton of heavy lifting in the background that they've had to do to stabilize work environments and provide a sanctuary from the whirlwind of all this global uncertainty. I mean, we think about it. HR leaders have been tasked with the impossible job of seeing the future, 
making calls on hybrid work and remote policies with very little information. They've been responsible for worker happiness and well-being in a time when the goalposts for those things, they're constantly moving. They've been responsible for designing programs for retention while also trying to keep up with the ever-evolving demands of the modern employee. And they've also been de facto therapists, in-house nurses, ventilation checkers, infection control experts, and facilities planners, all while keeping up with the latest on the constantly changing mask rules and protocols with this ever-changing virus. So for today's episode, while we are asking, how can HR save your business? I'm glad that we're also going to consider how can we also help save some of our burned out HR leaders. And I want to remind everybody before we bring in Reiki on that we are giving credits or you can earn credits. We're not giving them away. You can earn credits by listening to Geek Skeezers and Googleization, anywhere between a half a credit to a full credit, depending on the episode. You can simply reach out to Jason or myself and message us to get information, to get the form. There's a form that we ask you to fill out just to prove that you listen to it, to keep us uh, in line with uh, Sherm's standards. Or you can go to rebrand.ly forward slash GGG Sherm credit. No, that's a mouthful. Uh, for those that are watching, you can see it right there. Uh, for those that are listening, rebrand.ly forward slash GGG Sherm credit. And it'll pull up the form, submit that, and we will then send you the activity code. And please, when you have a chance, if you, hopefully you like what you hear, go up and leave a review about Geek Skeezers and Googleization on your favorite podcast channel and uh, leave a rating. And Ira, it seems like now is the perfect time for us to go ahead and bring Enrique on so that we can dive into this incredible, fascinating world of the transformation of HR. Good morning. Well, good afternoon for you after lunch. I hope you already had your lunch. Um, <laughs> if you, lunch. What's lunch? What's we're, lunch? We work, we work remote. What's lunch? What's lunch, right? It's, <laughs> right. it's all lunch, breakfast, dinner, work, home. It's all in the same mix. But uh, Ira, Jason, thank you so much for inviting me again 200 episodes later after the uh, the one that I uh, joined you at uh, three plus years ago. So it's exciting to be back with you. And it's great. And congratulations on all your success. 200,000 followers on LinkedIn is quite an accomplishment. I, I know when we first talked, you had 60 chapters and you were just getting your, you know, getting your grounding there and early on and, and, and sharing what hacking HR is. So, which is a good place to start. Uh, there, there may be, there's obviously a few people on the planet that are in the HR world that may not know who Enrique <laughs> Rubio is and, and hacking HR. Uh, talk to us uh, a little bit about, you know, share what, what it is uh, and what your vision is, but also how you got there, Yeah, uh, which is, is sort of interesting. I mean, I, I, everybody's always shocked when I, I go, well, you know, where did, how did you start your career? And I think uh, you may or may not remember this, but I started as a dentist yeah. uh, and, and people go, how did you get from dentistry into HR, entrepreneurship, leadership? I mean, that seems like a big disconnect, but your story's very parallel. Yeah. We both came from a science background. So share your, your journey and then, you know, what hacking HR is today. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. And yeah, my, I, I have a very eclectic background too. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm an electronic engineer. That's how I started my career, uh, 20 plus years ago and, uh, 10, 10 plus years into my electronic engineering sort of a uh, work. I, I discovered that 
even though I'm passionate about technology, I liked working with people even more. And then I, you know, I was looking around, I got into sales for a little bit. I didn't like sales that much. And then I found out about HR and got into HR. I was very excited about learning the, you know, the, about the profession. This was 12 years ago. And, you know, through the journey, I've been a consultant. I've been in, uh, in the corporate space and being in HR has uh, working, being on the side of sort of the, uh, the the client of HR, but also being inside HR has allowed me to uh, sort of understand the the possibilities and the realities of this field, right? And um, what I mean with possibilities is, and this is my vision for, for HR, I always see ourselves as, a, as trailblazers that should be leading the way forward into the future uh, for people and uh, organizations to follow us. But to be able to do that, that's a possibility. Now I go to the reality. To be able for us to do that, we have to have a number of skills, uh, a number of um, of tools in our toolkit that we don't currently have. So the reality is that we have the potential to become the trailblazer, but the gap that exists between where we are today and becoming that trailblazer is what's preventing us from actually doing it. So that's the gap that I'm trying to close with Hacking HR. Um, Hacking HR is a global learning community of HR leaders, practitioners. We bring everybody together to discuss, learn, collaborate, uh, around all things that are at the intersection of the future of work, technology, organizations, people, transformation, innovation, and the impact uh, on HR. So in short, we are trying to provide the tools to HR leaders, HR professionals to close the gap between the potential that we have to become trailblazers and the place where we are today, which is not a bad place, but it's not the place where we can actually be. So that's a little bit about me, a little bit about hacking HR. <laughs> long story there. No, not long at all. I appreciate that. And it's a great story. So uh, let me frame the conversation that I'd love to have, because right before I heard your presentation of what some of the challenges are, what the future of work was going to look like, what the future of HR was going to look like. Well, so I'll, I'll start with that is you, you shared a study from the conference board that talked about some of the, the top challenges. Yeah that CEOs, uh, that HR leaders and CEOs are facing. And number one on the list was digital transformation, yeah. which obviously HR has to be really involved with. Yeah. I mean, we, we've got a long way to go. But right before that, I was, I, I had a breakfast with a good friend of mine and he worked for a company that just was sold. It was in the HR space, uh, was just sold. They shut it down uh, shortly thereafter, uh, his portion of it. And after 13 years, he basically, he, he didn't get any severance. He got nothing and neither did his team. And one of the employees was there 23 years, which isn't technically an HR problem. It looks bad because HR has got to deliver the message, um, but the company is. But what he shared with me, and this is where the contrast between the focus is on digital transformation and DEI uh, and a lot of other things, the experience that his team has had getting new jobs they've all landed new jobs right away they're all talented people they're all good people but the experiences that they're sharing of hr goes back to some to me they're common sense to a lot of people they're common sense the basics complaints about ghosting mm. applied never heard from people one of them has been hired 
has a job offer. The only thing she gets is, hey, I haven't heard from you yet. When when am I supposed to start? Need the paperwork? What's the process? Um, am I still on board? Are you guys laying off? Am I a victim? Should I look elsewhere? They go, no, 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 you're still on the books. No, we definitely want to have you. We're just really busy here. And just show up for work on the first day. So we, we've got this these basic HR practices that still are really pretty ugly yeah. and rough. And then we have these ambitions. And, and again, I know a lot of the people in hacking HR so is like speaking to the choir. They know it, they got it, these companies are doing the best. But most of the profession seems to be really struggling. Yeah. Um, just I'm just looking for your comment on that. Obviously, I, I think you agree. Um, but how do we how do we close that gap? And then, you know, moving, where do we go to move forward? And I think that's what you're talking about with hacking HR. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I want to, I want to, this happened during the pandemic as well, by the way, uh, you know, companies that fired people on a Zoom call and, um, you know, text message, text message <laughs> and things like that. Recently, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago, this guy, sharing his story of working 27 years for this uh, uh, restaurant chain and not getting anything from the company other than like a like a gift card or something and then he you know he went to go fund me because he wanted to leave the company he got like a hundred thousand dollars from people supporting him um you know the, the reality is that our profession like other professions suffer from 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 having people that are very old school and they they just care about the bare minimum. And that's pretty sad, to be honest. And that, that happens in electronic engineering. It happens in dentistry. It happens everywhere. Uh, it happens everywhere that you have people that just want to do the bare minimum. And that's that's good enough for them. But this is what happens. If you do the bare minimum, you can do that only for so long. There's going to be a point in time when somebody will notice that the bare minimum is not enough anymore, that the bare minimum is not delivering value, that the bare minimum is not... Uh, you know, helping the company attract better talent or retain better talent or create great cultures or becoming a great place to work. And once that happens, if the business leaders are committed to creating a culture of uh, of people-centered, of a people-centered organization, and they realize these guys from HR are delivering the bare minimum, they are ghosting our candidates, they are telling them, oh, yeah, yeah, come, come to the office, start doing whatever, you know. I mean, there's a, we put a handbook on the table for you to read while we find the computer that we're going to give you. I've been through that, by the way. When those business leaders realize that those HR people are behaving in that way, they will tell them, I'm, I'm sorry, but you know, goodbye. I mean, that's, that's, this is not what we're looking for. That's the kind of realization that will happen when a crisis sort of emerges. And, and, and when, when you find yourself in a place where, you know, this HR is not the kind of HR that we want to have for this company, but for that to happen, you have to have the kind of business leaders who understand the value of building a people-centered culture. Because very often those HR people are the reflection of the way their management or leadership team behave. If you have a CEO, say a company of a thousand people, you got a CEO, you may have a two, three people HR team, most likely an HR director or VP leading the team, recruiter and a specialist. If the HR person say that is very progressive, forward-looking, trying to meet with the CEO and the CEO saying, I don't have time, do whatever, you know, I don't care about that. 
that behavior will trickle down to the way HR behaves with everybody else. So if I'm not just trying to remove the blame from HR, what I'm trying to say is that you may have HR people that are very progressive working in crappy companies. You may have awesome companies that have very crappy HR functions, in which case, you know, the company leaders will have to make the determination where, about whether those HR uh, people in that team are delivering the kind of vision, the kind of value that they want to deliver. But at the end of the day, regardless of whether it's the leader or the company or the culture, my call to everybody who's listening to or watching to this conversation, uh, my call to you is to, to realize the power that you have to create a better experience for everybody. Because one day you will be sitting in that same place and you won't, you won't want to be treated like, like garbage. You know, you don't, you, you don't want to be ghosted. You don't want to be told, just come there and sit and do whatever you have to do or come to the office or you're fired via text message. You don't want to be treated that way. So don't treat people that way. And I'm not just talking about the vision that I have for HR of, you know, trailblazing and leading the way. I'm talking about a little bit better than the bare minimum. If you don't want a candidate anymore, just call them and say, you know what? Our priorities change. I am really sorry. You know, I understand. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to help you in this and that other way. Whatever it is, but do more than the bare minimum because at the end of the day, it's not just your company. I think that in the long run, it is each of those individuals who are delivering the bare minimum, the ones who will suffer because they won't be employable. And they won't be employable because they have a mindset that keeps them doing only the bare minimum. By the way, all of what I'm saying is true for HR, for engineering, for dentists, for technologists, for salespeople, for whatever it is. If you are doing the bare minimum, if you're not investing in doing a better work, if you're not investing in yourself, if you're not pushing yourself on an ongoing basis to do better, to, you know, more effectively and to build, in the case of HR, a human-centered culture, I think you are the one individually, you are the one who's going to suffer because you're going to find try to find another job two, three, four, five years from now. And who's going to want to hire you, uh, you know, if that's being your history, right? So, um, so it's a little bit about creating more, more value for companies. And it's also a little bit about creating more value for your long-term employability. Enrique, I love the paradigm that you shared there, that it should be a race to the top, not a race to the bottom. Yeah. Just on LinkedIn yesterday, they had an article that was talking about how many business executives are reporting that they're hoping for a recession because it'll force people to come back to work. So they're hoping for crappier conditions to put the squeeze on people so that they'll come back and do what they want them to do. Yeah. And we need more organizations like Hacking HR that are flipping the script on that and saying, no, that's not the mindset we need to have. We need to have amazing workplaces that attract people that want them to make their best contributions. And so when you're talking earlier about the goal of Hacking HR is really to fill in those gaps from where we are currently in HR to where we need to go. Yeah. Can you share some insights on what are some of those those particular skills or what is the appetite for most of the HR leaders when they attend your incredible events? What are some of the things that they're looking for to take that next leap forward and a step toward the future? Yeah. Um, well, you know, I, 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 want to, I want to begin by saying, you know, something about your first comment. And, and that is that I, I think a lot of us had the a great expectation of 
things changing radically in the world of work because of the pandemic. And for a lot of us, we are hitting some walls now, right? And the walls of reality, meaning that many companies don't want to change. They don't care about changing. A, cry, a tragedy, not even a crisis, a tragedy that COVID didn't change them. And what I think about is if that tragedy didn't change them and the way they behave and operate, I, I don't know what will. I have no idea what will change them. Uh, you know, you mentioned one example, you know, companies saying, you know, I, I, I hope that a recession happens because we want to bring people back to the office. Elon, um, not Elon Musk, uh, Mark Zuckerberg recently saying we have to turn up the heat because we need to get rid of some people that are not, that don't belong to this company when they themselves uh, as a leadership team are the ones, you know, messing it up. Right. So you find very often that the, 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 the blame that should go to the leadership team for their poor behavior, their poor capacity to strategize and to create a great company, they trickle down that blame, remove it from themselves and start blaming, it's, it is not us. It is the people who are working uh, remotely, like Elon Musk, or it is not us in Facebook that are creating all these wrong conditions and people are not liking us anymore. It is those that at 10% of whoever they think is not a, a top performer. So it's very unfortunate that we are, I think it is slipping away from us the opportunity to truly transform and create great companies. However, you see other companies, you know, that are doing an amazing job. You know, I, I have to bring to the table a company like Airbnb, which I think for me is, um, they, they won't get it right all the time and that's okay. You know, I won't judge them for not getting it right. What I appreciate about what they're doing is they are trying to create something that works for them and the people that works with them. They said recently, everybody can now work remotely. Could they backtrack in two years from now? Maybe, but that's okay. Because at this time, they decided that that was the best option. They wanted to experiment with an idea that they thought was going to deliver a great amount of value for their people for their employees, their customers, and themselves as a company, right? So I, I wanted to just uh, uh, create a call to action here for everybody who's listening and, and tell them, uh, we, we still have a great opportunity to create amazing companies that people will want to work for. Don't miss the opportunity. Don't force the stuff on people. Don't miss the opportunity. Experiment with ideas and try to make it happen. From, from, a, you know, from the second part of your question about you know, things that people are, you know, sort of expecting out of the conversations that they are having with us. I think it's number one is a little bit of inspiration because you find a lot of HR folks that they feel that they want to do more and they want to do better. And they have all these awful bosses and that don't allow them to do more and better. So I think one thing that they are looking for in our events is that inspiration to say, all right, let me, let me keep pushing. Let me keep going. I mean, there, there will be a point in time when, when there will be depleted and they will say to hell with this. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm quitting. I'm, I'm not doing anything else for this company because this company will never change. So there's a little bit of inspiration. There's a little bit of a sort of a, a sense of community because when you hear the stories from other folks that are going through a similar journey, when you hear stories from people who already went through a similar journey and they are further down the road than you are, that's inspiring. And that creates that sense of, uh, of community of me talking with people that can 
teach me something that I don't know or with whom I can go together in the journey because we are in similar places, right? So I think that's the second thing that they look for in sort of in our events. And the third thing, which is, you know, all of them equally important, I think is the tools to be able to create a different kind of culture, a better organization, a better HR function. So I think those tools are very diverse, you know, from technology to culture, employee experience, diversity, equity, and inclusion, belonging, all of these things that, uh, that as HR professionals are learning about them, they can do their work better. So I think those are the three things that I think generally people uh, look forward uh, uh, in our events, to in our events. We can't ignore the evidence of the facts. The reality is for any anybody, any organization that thinks that this perfect labor storm or these labor shortages are just a glitch and that people are just, you know, it's government benefits and people are just lazy. They're sitting in their home or their basement uh, on support uh, and they just don't want to go back to work. Here's a reality. Reality, and and again, I don't want to I don't want to you know pollute the the myths with the and the hearsay with the facts. But in, when the baby boomers came into the market, into the labor market, there was 2.5 million new workers every year that were coming into the labor market, and then there was a dip with Gen X because there was only half as many of them. And then in the millennials in the 90s and early 2000s, we had the millennials, which is even larger than the baby boomers. 2.5 million workers every year were coming into the workforce, new workers. We are currently, and this is as long, this is the projection for the next 10 to 20 years, under 500,000 people, new workers coming into the workforce. Wow. So one fifth, 20, 20% of the workers that are coming in that what used to come in, fresh blood, and uh, that's gonna stay that way. And at the same time, the baby boomers are leaving, yeah. but our population is continuing to grow. So when the baby boomers came in, they were injecting it, but the population was almost a hundred million people smaller than it is now. So now we have a larger population. We have all the aging baby boomers that need all the care. Uh, they want not they want healthcare, but they also want to travel. They need financial financial work, all those services that they want. Uh, and there's not a lot of new blood coming into the workforce because our fertility rates are down. Our immigration is slow to a trickle. It's complicated. So for for all those employers that are saying we hope for a re if the economy slows down, then people are going to be hungry and they want to come back to work. Some will. That will improve it for some companies and some people, but in the big picture, it's not going to change. Yeah. There's just not enough people that are coming in. And then we have an education crisis. So we're going to be talking about this for a long time. And obviously yeah. we're going to have to do a lot of hacking of HR <laughs> yeah. down the road. And, and I love that you talk about a journey, a journey. A, it, it's a journey without uh, a definite de destination. We yeah. know what our goal is and our vision, but it's that mountaintop. Yeah. But how we get there, the path is going to change, you know, quite a bit, yeah. which leads us to a good point to take a short break. And we're going to come back and we're going to continue talking about this, uh, what some of the challenges are, where do you see hacking HR going, uh, what's the future of HR. But thank you for being part of Googleization Nation. Thank you for listening to Geek Skeezers and Googleization. We got Enrique Rubio, an alumni of Geek Skeezers and Googleization, back uh, after three years talking about hacking HR. We got uh, we're, we're trying to figure out how to close that gap from where we are to where it needs to go. So please stay tuned. We're going to hear about adaptability, something that we absolutely need.
So we'll be back in one minute. For most of us, change is freaking terrifying. And unfortunately, there's no app to adapt. That might change in the not-so-distant future. But for now, we're on our own. That means we can either accept our default future or reimagine our tomorrow. For those of you who choose default, good luck. Just remember, there's no pause button for change. You can't turn back the clock. And there's no get-out-of-jail-free card in this age of perpetual uncertainty. Like it or not, change will happen all around us. And that change is not becoming just more disruptive and frequent, but volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous, or VUCA. Fortunately, you can make change work for you and turn it into your personal and competitive advantage. Reimagine your future to one in which you're living with purpose, you're happy, and you're growing, thriving, and flourishing. If you're ready to rewrite your next life chapter and regain control of your destiny in this never-normal world, your journey starts here. Contact the leader in adaptability and making change work for you, your team, and your organization. Ira S. Wolf, adaptability.expert. Hey, welcome back, everyone, to Geek Skeezers and Googleization. We're here with Enrique Rubio today, talking about hacking HR. Uh, just again, so such a fitting topic uh, when we're talking about change and growth mindset. We had a couple comments here. I just wanted to hit those. I want to thank everybody who's providing those. There was a comment about um, didn't give the name here, but uh, bare minimum does not cut it anymore. We talked about doing the bare minimum. Needs to be a mindset shift. Yep. Thank you. That's set up. We talked about mindset shift. And also, I want to remind everybody that you can get a demo of our new our new program, AQ Plus Mindset, at rebrand.ly forward slash mindset demo. Uh, it's all about, it's a 30-day coaching program about uh, how to how to develop a growth mindset, which fits into Jason. I don't know if you were thinking this when Enrique was talking about in the in the first part of the show about change and disruption. We have a great great guest coming up. Uh, I believe in two weeks, uh, and or the podcast will drop in about two weeks with Whitney Johnson. She has a new book called Smart Growth. She has a million and a half followers. So obviously, there's a lot of people like what she has to say, and she was talking about how people need to learn how to disrupt yourself we need to so for all the hr people out there that are sort of coasting or feeling that uh, all i need to do is put in i only have 10 more years in my career so i'm just going to coast out um it's i don't know if you last that long but for others who are interested some good guidance there so stay tuned in two weeks will be uh you can get the the podcast on uh with whitney johnson on uh, disrupt yourself but we're back today with enrique yeah, one of the comments, great question, Enrique, that, that they teed up here. Her name's Samia, and she wondered your thoughts about outsourcing HR um, or maybe certain parts of HR, just like payroll companies or law firms. What's your take on that? What, whatever is transactional that can be automated and or outsourced, why not? Um, and 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 I don't think it's about outsourcing HR or automating HR is outsourcing or automating the more transactional parts of it. And even though today some of it can be outsourced to another person who does more administrative work, I think eventually all of that will be done uh, by technology. Uh, you know, today we have technology capable of doing a lot of the transactions 
that HR uh, generally runs. And in theory, the theory says that what should happen once you have outsourced or automated all those processes that you get more free time to do more of what adds value. And by, I, I have no idea why, uh, you know, there's a, there's a, a Parkinson's law uh, of filling, filling up time with whatever it is to complete the time that you have available to do it. So I think that what's happening right now is that HR outsources, automates some parts of the process and then ends up filling up that time with some other transactional stuff instead of doing the more transformative, impactful kind of work. And I, you know, I think, you know, I think it's an interesting uh, strategy to automate and outsource the more administrative kind of transactional work, as long as that time that you're getting back in your hands will be used for true, truly valuable uh, activities and, and and projects, and not just to fill them up with another transaction that. Uh, you shouldn't be running at all. That's incredible advice. And you mentioned Airbnb earlier. So those companies like that, that are very innovative, yeah. what are some of the things you can share with us today that you're seeing innovative companies like them doing in terms of HR? So if they are able to automate some of those more compliance, repetitive type of tasks, yeah. what are the things they are putting back in the bucket that are more strategic, that they're really focusing on? that are helping them take things to the next level. Yeah, I wanna yeah. mention a couple of them. One of them is taking the time to build culture, to create great culture. If you are, if your time is spent, you know, 90% of the time of your time is spent running a transaction, then little, little time will you have available to actually build and shape and create great culture by having conversations with your teams, with your leaders, with your peers, whatever it is. So part of what these companies are doing as they get some of that time back from uh, outsourcing or automating transaction is building culture, creating a culture that everybody wants to work for. And they do that not just by hearsay or by, you know, gut feeling. They, the second thing that I wanted to mention was that they rely a lot on data. And what they do is that they truly uh, understand the power of analyzing people analytics and people data and uh, sort of bringing uh, potential ideas to the table out of whatever insights they are getting from that data and building great culture and great people strategy by relying on that uh, on that data. You know, if, you are, if you're running a transaction all the time, maybe you're missing out on, for example, seeing that, uh, you know, your net promoter score may be high for, on, on, you know, for your overall, employee population, but when you look into maybe some diverse groups, say, you know, either black workers or LGBTQ plus workers, maybe you find that your net promoting sco promoter scores are lower, your engagement scores are lower, then you say something's going on here. So what's happening? And then you spend time asking, you spend time investigating, you spend time researching, talking with people, and then you can create a better culture that works for that specific uh, group of your employees that you may have that you may be missing right now because you're only looking at the overall kind of data point and then running the transaction again, right? So things like that, I think, uh, are some of the things that these very innovative companies are doing and are the things that I think uh, people can uh, do more of if they get some time back when they stop running so much of the transaction that they're running now. 
Enrique, you, you teed up one of the questions that came in. And, and again, we thank uh, whoever provided this to us and who's listening. Uh, can you answer this question about algorithms? And I think you just talked about that's one of the challenges that they that people have is how how do you what do we do about the algorithms that are designed to eliminate people under 50 or any group of candidates? I have never uh, seen an algorithm that is used by any company that purposefully eliminates any group of people. I have never seen it. That doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. Uh, I have not seen it. Uh, Amazon, I think it was a couple of years ago, they started using this artificial intelligence recruitment uh, uh, sort of engine, and they found out that the design of that engine was a poor design, and the engine started discriminating against women and other uh, and some minority groups. Amazon immediately stopped using the uh, sort of that algorithm, that engine, because they knew there was a problem. I am not sure that there's any company that is intentionally using any algorithm that would discriminate this way, for, uh, this way against, uh, you know, some some groups. First of all, that's illegal to begin with. But even if it wasn't illegal, they are missing out on. Uh, immense amount of group of workers that can add a lot of value. So I have never seen that. Um, in fact, if that is happening, I don't even think it's the engine. I think it's the recruiters. I think it's the actual recruiters who may be, uh, you know, uh, they, they may be, uh, they may have the directive to not hire people who are of certain groups or certain ages. So, I, I'm, I, I don't know if I want to blame the technology for this. I, I think it's more uh, a human glitch uh, or not even a glitch, a human intentional action that could happen as well. So um, I have not seen that. But uh, if that is happening, I, that's, that's illegal, actually. So you should call that out if you see that happening. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more, Enrique. Um, I, what I'm thinking, I do hear these stories of, of managers or recruiters or um, I just got just the other day, a phone call is like, what do I do with with my boss who who says uh, it was subtly saying that we know we can't put this in in our job postings, but we want to look at people that are only between 35 and 45 years <laughs> old. Yeah. You know, so again, and, and that's what algorithms are. I mean, basically, if, if an algorithm is taking the data that you had and the data that you had was intentionally or unintentionally discriminating or there were managers who were discriminating yeah. uh, with that that all it does is it, it puts it on steroids yeah so, yeah well the, i don't the, think it's the know, algorithm itself yeah well the, you know the, the solve, solving the algorithm problem it's that that case that you're mentioning mentioning it's honestly a really easy fix you know it's just if that is actually happening from the from the algorithm perspective it's an easy fix it's just changing a couple of lines of code what's difficult is changing the mindset of that manager to make them understand that what are they looking for? What, you know, are you, are you, are you looking for a, you know, for what are you looking for to begin with? Why do you even need somebody who is from 25 to 45? Why not somebody from 50 or 20? Right. So changing that mindset, that's way more difficult. That requires way more than two lines of code to change. <laughs> yeah. Which just proves about, you know, and I've talked about this and, and you've had many, many guests on, on, on your panels, you know, talk about, how the criteria for selection and and i still struggle with this yeah. the companies say that well we need somebody who has at least a two-year college degree or at least a, a college degree um but five years and five years of experience i said well what if you had somebody who had 15 years of experience but only had a two-year degree yeah 
Yeah. Well, oh, yeah. Well, we might consider them. Well, then it's not a minimum of four year degree or or it's a criteria. There's something else that you're looking for. What the algorithm helps people do is really identify what you're looking for. But if you're throwing in all biased data and all you do is hire people that have college degrees and 15 years of experience or or two year or a college degree and no years of experience, if that's the only people you hire because it's low pay, that's the that's the amount of information that the algorithm gets to get better at. Yeah, yeah. Picking out. Yeah. And 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 in in addition to that, honestly, I think any organization that doesn't think more creatively about the possibilities of talent to do the work that they need them to do is just being lazy. That's, that, yeah. you know, like when you see job postings, sometimes I, and I look at them, uh, you know, in the case of HR, I look at some of them and I say, I, I can bet that if I asked the recruiter from this company why they are requiring this or this or this or that other skill, they would have zero idea of what they are doing. It's only that they are copying it from somewhere else and they paste it in there. They just, they were just lazy, as simple as that. I think that. That's what the hiring, yeah, that's what the hiring manager told me to put in yeah. where the last person we hired, yeah. the last person we had didn't have a college degree and it didn't work out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Everybody. Yeah, 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 exactly, yeah. yeah. So, so, so Enrique, yeah. we're, we're sort of coming up toward the end, unfortunately, and, and we can talk forever with you. Uh, there's so much, so much to talk about. Is there anything that we didn't cover that you would like to talk about? No, I think this has been a great conversation and I'm hoping that uh, you know, to me, the, uh, you know, if, if everybody forgets everything that we talked about and they only remember one thing, I am hoping that they, they know that doing the bare minimum, uh, is not enough anymore. You know, that will keep you in your work today, but not tomorrow. So, you know, make sure that you are investing in yourself, uh, above all in yourself as a professional so that you re- remain employable. And that means you add value today to your company but you can add value to another company if you want to be hired by someone else tomorrow. So the bare minimum doesn't cut it anymore. You got to invest in yourself and continue to, you know, grow and and develop your skills and 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 you know your mindset to do um, to do better things. Not um, not just more. That doesn't necessarily mean better. To do better, that's a different kind of a thing. So Enrique, just a few more questions here at the end. We want to help everybody get to know you a little bit better on a personal level. So we're going to ask you a few rapid fire questions here. And let's start with this one. On your LinkedIn profile, it says that you are a vegan ultra runner. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Tell us about uh, what is an ultra runner? An ultra runner is somebody who runs very long distances that are very much larger or longer than a marathon. And that's what I do. So, you know, like... um, I'm a runner and I do races. I'm, I'm a competitive athlete. So I do races that are way longer than a marathon. So that's what an ultra runner is. Very cool. And for those who are actually watching today, there are a lot of beautiful pictures that you have in your background. Are those some of the places where you've done ultra running? Uh, those are my pictures. Uh, they, I not, I haven't done any ultra races in any of those places. Those are some of my favorite places. Like, you know, uh, uh, on this side, where it is, here it is. That's Mount Rainier, which is my favorite national park out here. This is Glacier National Park up in Montana, which is my favorite place in the universe. Um, you know, there's uh, uh, the arches of uh, in Moab. You know, you see over here, you see that uh, bison in Yellowstone. This is this out here. You don't see them that well, but that's my second favorite animal. Those are big horned sheep. Uh, I, I took that picture in the Badlands in uh, South Dakota. Um, so those are 
some of some of my favorite places uh, in the world. I love it. And I love it. And you just teed up the next question. You said bighorn sheep are your second favorite animal. So yeah. what's your favorite animal? Bears. Bears is my favorite animal. I, I love grizzlies. I love black bears. Uh, I love them. I They are, you know, to me, they represent, you know, they are strong, but they care so much about their babies. And, you know, they are fearless, but also they are respectful of, you know, like what's happening around them. So I think they are like, they embody like, I don't know, beautiful qualities, I think. I love it. And it sounds like what you're trying to do is set up some more HR leaders to become like bears the way you just like described bears. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Last one here. Uh, let's go down the music road a little bit. Do you have a favorite band or musical artist? Woo, you know, I, I'm a, I, I love music from the 70s. And um, so that's kind of my, and I have a very eclectic kind of um, taste for that. I think, you know, uh, Queen, uh, I love Queen. Uh, I love the Beatles, um, you know, I, but I have a very, so I can listen to rap. I, I don't like much of the newer music right now because I don't think it has like a meaning on it. You know, like it's like, it's like empty, you know, it's like sexual stuff that, you know, doesn't make you think. Uh, but you look at, you know, you listen to music from the past, you know, like Queen, Prince, the Beatles, Michael Jackson, Madonna. There's, there's like a lot of content in there. So um, I like all that music, but I have a very eclectic taste so I can listen to anything. I love classical music too, by the way, um, you know, when I'm working or something like that. Very cool. That sounds a lot like my wife. Whenever she pulls up the Spotify list, we have four kids. It's either Coco Melon that's playing or it's Notorious B.I.G. <laughs> so she's got yeah. the spectrum there, yeah. uh, you know, is what gets queued up. Yeah. Enrique, this has been a blast. We'd love to have you back on again. But as we get ready to sign off here, um, what are some ways that people can get in touch with you and learn about the incredible events that you're offering through Hacking HR? Yeah, they can go to LinkedIn and follow the Hacking HR LinkedIn page. We post everything in there. We have a website to Hacking HR that I owe. I see that it's in the banner down there. Uh, but you can you can just go to LinkedIn, look up Hacking HR, the Hacking HR LinkedIn page, or look me up, Enrique Rubio. And I'm me and Hacking HR, we're always posting everything that we're doing. We'll post it on LinkedIn. Awesome. You're absolutely prolific. And we thank you for what you're doing for the HR profession to elevate and make it a race to the top instead of a race to the bottom. And we hope to have you on again one day. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ira. Thank you, Jason, for inviting me. This was exciting. Thank you. And stay safe. And thank you, everybody, for listening and tuning in. Exceptional episode. Again, so, so, many, so much to cover and so little time to do it. So uh, again, I'll ask you my, my favorite question to you is what, what's your takeaway? What, what, what did you hear? He boiled it down. I loved how he came back around and he said, if there's one thing that you take away from today, it's stop doing the bare minimum. And you referenced it in your conversation with Mark that you had this morning, that these things that seem really small, like reaching out and letting people know if they haven't received an offer or just keeping the lines of communication open, those seem like things that are trivial. And you might think to yourself, oh, I don't need to reach out to this person. They'll get it or they know what to do. Don't make those assumptions. Those things are critically important. And so stop just looking at the bare minimum, but think about how you do create an amazing experience for candidates and for your employees. That was a big takeaway I, I got today. Yeah, I think my messaging, uh, and especially with the, his story about Airbnb or the example about Airbnb, is that they made a decision 
Uh, and we, we didn't get to specifically talk about this, but uh, the, the challenge with, with remote, hybrid, in-person work, what that combination is going to be, is people are making a decision, and there's almost people on the sideline waiting for that decision to be wrong. What happens, you know, uh, we'll wait a year and that won't work out. Uh, the reality is we're on his journey. And I think that was the message that he's that he shared. And I think that was the important story is that, yeah, maybe in two years, Airbnb or many of these companies that said we're going to be all in person or all remote or we're going to be the hybrid are going to define that that doesn't work. And, and I think the underlying story that he had there was that it depends on the culture of the company. It depends on your goal. Uh, of the company. It depends on the purpose of the company. It depends on how well they connect. And there may be people that really do want to go back to work in that environment and they do better and they grow and thrive in that particular environment. Uh, and that will work for them. But that may not be scalable. I mean, cultures can't be cloned. I mean, know everybody likes the blueprint that, you know, the the recipe, you know, if we follow these five steps that, that we're going to have this great culture. But it, it works because that's the belief and people worked hard at it. And they and they 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 created it's not the culture, but they created an experience that everybody shares and they want to be part of that. So you you have to create this experience. But in another company, it may you know. Maybe remote will work for Airbnb, but it won't work for its competitor or for another group. And and but if if over a year or the next two years, the environment's going to change. And, you know, we talk about be water. The container is going to change and people are going to involve. So maybe they will have to. It's not a failure. If they come back and they go, you know, it didn't work exactly like we thought. So we're going to bring people back three days a week or two days a week, or or we're going to have to have some roles that are here full time because that that works best. And um, so I, I think the the messaging that it's a journey, and it's going to continually evolve. And we we have we're, we're it's way way in the distance, but how we get there um, may have to change. So it was really good conversation and especially the path because people want quick answers we're you know going back to the conversation that we had uh with whitney whitney johnson is that we're you know people want to disrupt themselves but they're really impatient when it doesn't work they they either go back to the way it was or try something new and you you, you have to be patient that's right and i'm glad that he referenced airbnb today too because one quick little fact for our listeners the term employee experience Airbnb is given credit as being the first organization that coined that term back in 2017. Uh, another friend of the show, Jacob Morgan, talks about that in his book, The Employee Experience Advantage. So any chance we get to talk about Airbnb, obviously, they understand employee experience, even though they may not might not get it right every time. They understand how important culture is and investing in those things. Mm -hmm. So glad that we got to kind of give them some kudos today, too. Yeah. Well, we want to thank you, Googleization Nation, for tuning in today. Um, and if you have not liked or subscribed to both Googleization Nation, which is our community, we'd love for you to do that. It's free. We're approaching nearly 10,000 members, which is really exciting. But we'd also appreciate it if you'd like and subscribe to the podcast and also drop us a rating and review. Until next time, this is Jason Cochran signing off. And I'm Ira Wolf. I want to thank everybody, not only for being part of Googleization Nation, but for also for everyone who participated today in the chat. Uh, we had a number of comments going on there. We were able to bring some of them up. I apologize that we couldn't bring them all up. Um, but for, uh, again, you, you helped enrich the conversation. Uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for being part of it. Thank you for challenging us. And uh, hopefully you'll be back next week and, and listen to our other episodes as well. So until next time, don't let the shift hit your plans.